You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Coming to you from Podcast Detroit, it's Heard, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Heard is a collaboration between the Hungry Dudes, Nick Drinks, and the Detroit Optimist Society. Each week, we interview industry professionals about issues related to food, beverage, and hospitality. Please take a moment to subscribe to Heard through the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, SoundCloud, or however you subscribe to your podcasts. Write a review and let us know what you think. For additional content, including awesome videos and photos, visit HerdPodcast.com, like Heard Podcast on Facebook, and follow at Heard Podcast on Instagram. We appreciate your support and hope you enjoy this week's episode of Heard. Hello, friends, and welcome to Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. I'm Joe Hakeem, and tonight I'm joined by Nick. Almost energetic. I appreciate it. <laughs> Jason. Hey. And the owner of Black Ink Bitters. Hello. Mike hello. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for, thanks for being on, Mike. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Very well. What about our, our, our interloper? Inter- oh, Ra- Randy is in the house. I'm bringing back my pod crasher title. Pod <laughs> yeah, right crasher. On. Randy. Randy, thanks. Thank you for being here. What is your title here? Do you have a title? I'm an engineer. Okay, you have to be know. so meek about it. You can uh, own it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting pod. Death, I'm getting pod, death pod right crasher now. slash engineer Randy. <laughs> thanks, Randy. I turn the knobs and slide the levers. Boom! You're gonna. You're gonna like. Is that a euphemism? <laughs> All right. Uh, so um, let's start with the. Um, uh, local controversy, controversy, controversy. Uh, Woo! This uh, free press. Uh, I thought article. it was. Wait, I thought it was Blockbuster. Block, well, <laughs> which one? The one close. The two closed, and there's one left, and they're trying to get it to close that. that yeah, and thing. like um, James James Ricardo was just like, if you thought that was a traversy, you should look at <laughs> Blockbuster. <laughs> anyway, now I'm cutting you off. Go ahead. So. Um, there was a uh, a review, a uh, uh, um, very negative review, very, written, very uh, written about Empire Kitchen and cocktails. cocktails. Is that what they're called? Um, uh, by Mark Kurlianchuk of the Detroit Free Press. Um, it it uh, there was maybe one or two compliments in the whole thing, and not saying every review has to be complimentary, but it was written it even started off saying like this place is banal, banal, yeah, which. Um, I would imagine a lot of people don't even know what that word means. I had to look it up. Um, like totally not joking. Yeah, and it just means boring, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Um, but the the article, uh, as I've read it and reread it a few times, um, it, it's it seemed to border on personal um, more than it did like to have like the sense of like journalistic kind of. It almost reminded me of like the Pete Wells Guy Fieri. Um, uh, Guy's American Kitchen article uh, from a few years ago, where where Pete Wells kind of like took Guy Fieri to task. Now the the big difference being that, and I don't know this for a fact, but I, the Guy Fieri restaurant has less to do. They're using Guy Fieri's name, and Guy Fieri might not have had as much to do with that restaurant as the three owners of Empire Kitchen have to do with their restaurant. Um, and and I, it, yeah, I think I get 
I get what Mark was trying to do. If this, if Mark was trying to basically put a stake in the sta- a, a stake in the ground, and say he's trying to put a stake in his mouth. A stake in his <laughs> mouth. He tried and he d- didn't like it. Right. No, if he's trying to put a stake in the ground and say, "Okay, guys, like you, everyone's on notice. Like you can't just open a restaurant and everyone's going to throw money at you." I I feel like almost Empire got the the short stick and they were like his attack. They were his like target for that message because that's that's kind of the analysis that James gave James Regato about you know like we need we need people to say you know there are this restaurant is not good and you kind of don't need to go. Um, but I feel like Empire kind of got they they lost out on that pretty hardcore. The the, the thing to remember, and this is mentioned in um in Mark's article and uh, also. In in a very strange move, that the response in the free press by Empire Kitchen, which I think is which harkens back to lovers only, right? Where Eli was allowed to respond to yeah. Mark. Um, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. This kind of um, opportunity that owners have to to respond, I don't think that happens in the New York Times. I may be wrong about that, um, but um, these guys own 32. 30, 32 five guys. Mm-hmm. They own um, nope. McVie thirty two. Dash five guys, yeah, not like three hundred and twenty-five. Oh no, five no, guys. right, right, right. Yeah, five guys burgers, yeah. and then they own McVee's um, on Telegraph, which is uh, between I think nine and ten mile, I believe, in Southfield, and they own uh, another bar as well. Um, and that's a lot. It's a lot of places. Uh, yeah, but the thing to remember is that what they know is what they know, right? So they're extending out ideas about the five fast the, casual. Yeah, yeah, the five guys concept and turning it into something a little bit. So, you know, Mark called it cookie cutter. Um, they call it approachable. The, you what do you get? The Brooklyn Brooklyn menu generator? Gen- yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, and, and, you know, admittedly, I haven't been. Uh, so Nick, I, I went. You, yeah. yeah. I went the day I went the day of the interview, day after the interview. Day, of, of the article you mean? The day the article came yeah. out. Because, so I know a lot of bartenders there. And it was interesting because he mentioned craft cocktails. And he said the bar back had fancy bottles. But he didn't talk about any of the cocktails. He didn't, other than the price. Other than the price. So I wanted to go, okay, Nick Drinks is interested in the cocktails. Uh, food's typically secondary when I go to these things. And I thought the cocktails were really, really good. Um, so Chuck was there. Chuck has a fantastic menu. Chuck's last name? Gellish. Thank Gellish. you. Gellish. Yes, and, I had a... Okay. Yep. And um, you know, we went through a bunch of stuff. Uh, the, the Remy Martin team was there having drinks, and I got a free Remy Martin cocktail, which is awesome. And But no, I thought Chuck's cocktails were very good. He's currently redoing the menu. Supposedly, there's a new chef that's redoing the food menu as well. I, I It sounds like they weren't, they're not looking to be the next, um, you know, three Michelin star restaurant. I think they're just trying to do something more upscale. So what, what you're, and the point that you've kind of not made explicit, but the, the bars menus already being changed, the food menus already being changed. And they've, I'm not trying to make they, excuses for them. They've been open yeah. for two months. A- any any restaurateur, you know, this is this is in setting the table by Danny Meyer. He, he says that it takes about six six months for a restaurant to even catch its feet. Um, should a restaurant, you know, restaurants open their doors, they they should be ready. I I was at She Wolf um, last oh, week. Oh my god! And um, I was talking to Mindy Lopez, who mm-hmm. is the 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 uh, sommelier there, mm-hmm. and she she I you know told her you know, is it about six months do you expect to have everything rolling? And she said, 
me and Anthony Lombardo, the chef and owner. Who we had on the podcast. Who, yeah, who was a past guest, um, said that we want to open on day one like we've been open for six months to a year already. And he was solid. I was there on day one. He yeah. was solid. And, and, and they, they do great work there. Yeah. Um, now, but should they be reviewed in their first two months of being open? And Mark went there multiple times and had bad experiences multiple times. And, and that's fine. But but what I'm saying is like there is a multitude of feedback that comes to a restaurant within the first six months to a year that's open. Right. And they can, they can respond to that feedback. And this is – Which a lot of the feedback is revenue is part of a feedback loop. Right. So if people are liking it, they're going to continue to go there and spend their money. Yeah. And these and these people place these guys that own Empire like they have five guys so they obviously have probably a pretty good system in place to know what's selling what's not what's working what's not um, and, and so I don't know I'm not making an excuse for them I'm just saying like two months is two months and, and you know it goes on bo- both sides the Detroit News Molly Abraham she reviews restaurants fairly early on too mm-hmm. her her response is it's going to be the same on day one is going to be on day four hundred which I don't agree with you're also fighting with the use of the world. So, you know, you, if Hungry Dudes goes out there and writes something, you're going to get, if you kind of get like the first mover thing. I mean, that's what Brenna does all the time with Eater. I mean, she's typically the first one to report about a lot of this stuff. Yeah. And I think they don't have the luxury to do six months to get their house in order. No one does anymore. Yeah. I think it's interesting because he did make some very specific uh, comments about the food once the article finally after many paragraphs got to that point. Um, and which like, is, yeah, like the multiple times that the pizza tasted moldy. Yeah. So, I mean, so that's, I think that is in the realm of the, the feedback about, you know, specific feedback about the menu. Um, the larger question about, um, you know, what's banal, uh, you know, another place with burgers and pizzas and steak or whatever, when there's another place around it, you know, that's something I've been thinking about the last couple of days trying to figure out because, it's true. I mean, this place, it, really, the the modern culinary scene hasn't really taken hold in the city for longer than less than five years, probably. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like anything, like we've we've talked about cocktails in the past and like anything, you know, it takes time for people to adjust. But this is still Detroit. It's still a solidly Midwestern, you know, Rust Belt city where people have been eating burgers and pizza. And he mentioned Bakersfield and tacos and different things. And so he didn't mention um, Bakersfield by name. Right. So he did not. And I want to. And I don't want to cut you off, but I want to read this paragraph real quick because I think it's important. Because this kind of diverts from, I think, from the main point, or maybe it maybe it helps. I don't know. Also new on the block are a bakery that sells a kaleidoscopic array of Parisian ma- style macarons, an outpost of a tacos and tequila chain founded in Ohio that bears a dusty California city's name, uh, and a bright Scandinavian inspired third wave coffee shop that declares its fondness for intention simplicity on its website. I didn't see a single yoga studio nearby, despite encountering more than one group of the ancient disciplines, newest acolytes on the sidewalk outside. For, for people who can't read between the, the lines, people wearing yoga pants. Yeah. And this is, this is from Mark's review. Um, it seems like you're getting to the point like Bakersfield. Well, is but he also my, brought up the whole like um, gentrification and, yeah. you know, across the street as yeah, a but, shelter. And well, but, my question is like when, you know, whether it's banal or which is obvious or boring or, you know, the, uh, those people are ultimately serving a market. I mean, you know, it's it's great to be creative and unique. But if there's not a market for that, then you can, you're going to be creative and unique making drinks or food for yourself. And so to a certain extent, you know, um, it seems like. 
we've talked about cocktails in the past and how sometimes the bartenders had the potential to get ahead of themselves and it became about themselves and the creativity versus the guest mm-hmm. and putting a smile on the guest's mm-hmm. face. So whether it's whiskey or cocktails and it's like, you know, at the Sugar House where we came around, the idea that, you know, hospitality is if it puts a smile on your face, then it, it's good for you. And so for me, what I've been trying to struggle with the last couple of days, because, you know, I'm solidly Midwestern. I grew up eating burgers and pizza and all this, all the same things. But, you know, I can still go to Salt and Standard. I can go to Mabel Gray. But you can appreciate those things and still go to Bakersfield, you know, or go to Empire. I mean, if there's a market there for it, that's where I thought was kind of weird that I'm trying to kind of grasp. Like, cool, the pizza was moldy or the, you know, whatever other specific criticism about the food. But the overall bigger picture. uh, The response didn't really refute the bad food claims at all. Hmm. They're just like, hey, we're trendy looking or we're not trying to be super – Chief. Well, he did. I think he said, you know, we've I mean, never made a bad burger. He was talking specifically about the burger. Um, and like people know when Mark's in. Like, right? I mean, he wasn't yeah. in there in like a disguise. So I think my my bigger point is, does every restaurant need to be reviewed? Like, is there a certain kind of class of restaurant that are like the pinnacle of Detroit? And those are the ones that kind of demand a review. Or is everything fair game? Does that mean that he's one day going to show up at Leo's Coney Island right. and be like, you know, this is garbage? I'm not, I'm not trying to throw Leo's under the bus. That's the first one that came out. No, no, but but I think the I think your earlier point about Empire being like the line in the sand, right, is like is pretty spot on. Like putting the, people on notice, like right. you can't just open a place and be awesome, right? Um, but also there, there's you know my sense of like. Get, what if he goes back in a year or six months or whatever? The the fact is, like Empire, you know, and, and I don't want to assume anything, but like they they own thirty some other restaurants. Um, this negative review, people are still going to go there, and people might go there in spite of the review, just to see what it's yeah, like, and because of it as well. This um, might be a loss leader too. He might just be doing this because he wants to make not burgers every day, and this is just his toy yeah and well it, people probably go there because of it too because it seems like you know as a although it's a you know a restaurant review the nature of like the first few paragraphs and like the the story that it tells the greater narrative any press uh, is good press kind of thing well and like the use of words that maybe make people have to look up and it seems like you know that that may have been written to a specific audience that uh, there's a whole other audience that well he even said in the in the review that you know a lot of people probably are not going to care about the food scene dialogue that he's talking about so i mean he recognizes that he's probably not speaking to the majority of the people which seems like he readily admits and and then says like they'll probably roll their eyes at it and that segment of people which was probably the majority is a lot of them have we're commenting about they're going to go there and check it out because of that, yeah. you know? And so it seemed, you know, I don't know where that division line comes, but it seemed like there was a little, you know, two sides that, you know, I don't know. Words came. So I, I had mentioned on the Eater Facebook post that I had to look up banal, what it meant. And the next person below me um, who I, I didn't know was just like, yeah, why do you have to big, use big words and make people feel dumb? And then the next conversation was a lot of industry people saying like, no, you can still have an intelligent dialogue with big words. So that was interesting too, that even though, you know, Mark is trying to kind of inject some wordmaster words in there that he can still do. That. I mean, people, 
people can be smart. Look at New York Times. There's some, I'm sure there's tons of big words in there. In, in, in the age of like Instagram reviews and Yelp reviews and like you're kind of like, you know. One line. Four, four word Google reviews. This is great. Um, Best like burger. The, the, these, these kind of really deep critical analyses needs to, need to happen. Um, was that what this was? It's it's hard to say. Um, it, it there there are parts of that that article that that review that seem personal. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you know part of writing. I mean, Mark's a person, right? He's writing from a personal opinion. There's no way to to kind of divest yourself completely from your personal opinion and 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 the and and the kind of like narrative you want to push. Yeah. Because he has a greater, he's writing within a greater narrative. He's not just writing one article within a vacuum. His this this Empire article fits in with all of his other articles right, too. Right. I guess that's what I was getting at before. Is like you know, yeah, he he's telling a story through his perspective, uh, you know, through his perspective, through his lens, and it it certainly did lead to a lot of people having a conversation around these things, which, which I is think exactly is, what you want to do, right? Yeah. Exactly. So I mean, that's why I was kind of like, you know, there are people that were on his side already that are that kind of see things the way that he sees. Obviously James has been very vocal mm-hmm. about it. And, and then and, there's and super and there, supportive of the article. And super yeah. supportive. And then there's, you know, probably the larger group, which he recognized, which is either, again, like the food scene is still very young in the scheme of things in the city. So, I mean, and certainly James, and there's plenty of people who are on the forefront of that education that has to go into Food, just like, and that's a nationwide thing, right? People are watching shows. There's Bourdain. There's the chef. Yeah. Everybody's out there, so it's a process. So I don't think that you know the totality of Metro Detroit is has to have sophisticated food tastes after realistically not a very long time in the scheme of things. So that's good, I think, in that regard to continue to push the conversation forward. But also potentially some people could have just got turned off by the whole thing. And, yeah, and, and the other thing to remember is that like. He's not writing these articles to put someone out of business. Like th- this, this review, I think. For, but I don't think like, he can. That can come into his mind at all. Like if if he, I mean, you can't say I'm here to pick winners and losers. I'm, oh, I'm just no. calling it as I see it. Kind but of but I mean, part of being critical of something is to hope that it somehow becomes better later on. Yes, hundred percent. And so, like this, this is kind of like I mean, and that's why that's why I'm upset about the responding. That's happening mm. because it's like we were really hurt by this. Well, yeah, okay, no shit. Yeah. right. But but may, maybe that's okay, right? Like it's not personal because he didn't attack any of the owners personally. I, I know owning a business is very personal. I when when someone you know gives us a negative review at Acro, it's like I take it personally, but I don't like. And you I, post a Facebook message and. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean that was even a negative review. That was just like oh, yeah, you know, I know. but. Um, but that was great. That had, that had like 250 comments on it. Yeah. It? The, the, but did uh, it really – I mean I guess what I'm thinking is did it really hurt them yet because is it too soon to tell? Because oh, yeah. Definitely. They, they were dead when I went – I mean oh, not okay. dead but they were light when I went in. And, and who knows what that even means though? Who knows why they were light? It was like, oh, Mark Mark, you know, posted his review and now all of a sudden like crickets. Like, that's, that's probably not right, right? Because like you said, any publicity is good publicity. People are going to – Look at say oh Empire Kitchen and not even read the article, <laughs> you know, or get to the word banal and not know what it means and be like yeah I'm just gonna go, you know, and I'm not I'm not trying to like make a blanket statement about you know right. people's reading levels but it's like there, there's different different ways to look at it mm-hmm. and um you know ultimately like hopefully they read the criticism and like you said there's already a new chef involved maybe they can like fix things 
maybe maybe the the so, monkey bread that was stone raw in the middle and rock hard on the outside. That that that's, and that's a technique, his, and that's one of his biggest sellers. So I talked to the owner. Um, so that like Chuck was just like, oh, there's a food blogger here. We need to talk to him. I'm like, no, it's not it. But he came and talked to me, and he's just like, what do you think? And I'm like, the food I had was fine. Yeah. Um, the drinks I had were great. So he was just like, yeah, the the monkey bread sells really, really good, well for us. And that's kind of where I come back to. Like, does every restaurant need to be this super sophisticated level of you know cooking? Like, if you can sell a very simple monkey bread dish and you make money, isn't kind of that the point of a restaurant is to make money? But the other side of it is that they're taking up a high rent piece of property so, in Detroit. Well, but I mean, if you're making the whole point of a business, though, is to make money. And so uh, I don't. Uh, Probably why the cocktails are 13 bucks. <laughs> isn't that a normal price, though? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, 13 bucks didn't seem for, for uh, out of the Michigan, realm of. For that area. Yeah. yeah. Um, seemed very. I don't know. I can't fault him for making money. I mean, and again, maybe that's the capitalist in me, but like, if you're, you know, if you can heat up rolls in the microwave and sell them and make money, then great. Yeah. And the other thing that I'm not saying he did that, the the, um, homeless shelter comment, um, which I I get, I understand is the whole gentrification argument, but there's no, there was also nothing written about like maybe talking about the, the servers and the people working there. Where are they from? Are they from Mm -hmm, the neighborhood? mm -hmm. Because it's possible they are. I don't know. I, I haven't been there, you know? And, um, there's part of me. It's like, well, maybe they're employing people from the city, which you know, yes, it's homeless shelter down the street. Maybe they're donating food. Who knows what they're doing? They're certainly paying city taxes, and if they're bringing in a crowd that potentially was, you know, found themselves in a, one of the other suburban cities, but you know, was ended up at at this place in the city because they want to be part of the city, but it's for whatever reason approachable to them, then they're certainly paying money to the city, right? I mean, we, at a bare minimum. We might, exactly. Yeah. Right. Paying taxes. We might need to come back to this topic, but I don't know if you guys saw Let It Rip on Fox 2. They had a they had the Royal Oak mayor and a council member of Detroit, and then they had Johnny Prep from Mr. B's and the head of Traffic Jam and Snug. Scott Lowell. Yeah. And they were talking about, so the media, I'm going to sound like Trump right now, the media <laughs> was pushing the narrative of suburbs versus Detroit and whereas all the other like the the politicians and the restaurateurs are like no everyone can win so that was interesting but just that that came up after the whole Royal Oak debacle with parking which did we talk about that last week no we didn't okay I don't want to start that now because we're already like pretty far into a podcast yeah yeah um yeah, the, the the whole city versus suburbs narrative is one that like it was shot down pretty hard by like hmm. everyone there except for like the the Let It Rippers. What is Let It Rip? It's a show on like Sunday mornings, uh, oh, like okay. a talk show Got designed it. to be incendiary. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're, they're letting it rip. <laughs> yeah. so. so why does Detroit hate the suburbs? Why do the suburbs hate Detroit? And then they're both like, "But we don't." <laughs> so. Yeah, we should circle back around. I mean, it's that I think it's cool because that'll be a bonus like you podcast. Said, you've read it multiple times. It's caused me to think about different things in different ways and let it, you know, sit for a, a bit before just like having an immediate reaction. I'm still thinking about it. We're still talking about it right now, and I'm still thinking about it. So I think it's definitely good to push that conversation forward. Yeah, and everyone should read it. It's a well written review. Mm-hmm. I mean, to, to that, Thank to you. like the, the style of writing is fine. Um, entertaining, and, entertaining. Yeah. yeah, and then. Um, I would also recommend people go and check it out for themselves. Like, I think that's the main point. Like, these negative reviews, like, yes, they may kind of talk you out of something if you're going one versus another, but... And that's fine. Hey, if you're limited, if you can only go out to two places a year or whatever, then yes, please take that to heart. 
and go to someplace that Mark just absolutely loves. Because that, that's kind of also his point, too. If right. you have limited resources, I'm telling you where to spend your time and where not to. Yeah. And, and that's, a, that's a huge the, – the, the, That's his job. Right. And to, to like to have people know that they can almost safely spend their money somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say yes. If that's the case, then 100% go to someplace that he you know, waxed poetically like uh, Mabel Gray. Yes. yes. Totally hand, hands down above Empire. So yeah, I mean, but oh, bottom line, just read the article. Yeah, okay. you know, think about it and yeah. go from there. All right, Mike, fair. Yeah, Black Ink Bitter. Sorry to to keep you kind of waiting in the no, background very interesting, here, especially <laughs> with reviews. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting used to that myself. So, do you, do you, okay. So first of all, let's start with bitters in general. What 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 is a bitter? So bitter, I mean, hundreds of years old. Um, you traditionally used for medicinal reasons. Okay. Um. I mean, we're coming back from the, you know, beginning of a cocktail of just the three main ingredients, you know, with your spirit, your sugar, and your bitter, uh, going for the old fashioned. Um, a lot of people started pushing a lot more with, um, these experimental cocktails. Um, from my first experience, starting from, you know, the more traditional cocktails and going into the craft specialty, um, I'm seeing them more and more oftenly used in different ways. Um, as of right now, I've pushed the limits myself in bitters. Um, when people ask me, are you using them as normal bitters? I say no. Um, I'm not. Um, I'm starting to use mine more. Uh, Fee Brothers um, enlightened me with um, – gosh, it was a Food Network article maybe in 2015 where they were using – They're another food, bitters brand. Another bitters okay. brand. Yeah. And Wait, Food Network is? Food Network used this in Fee 2015. <laughs> um, and it, it was just a, a quick video and one of the ingredients – was bitters mm-hmm. in a food mm-hmm. and it really really contradicted um the use of them for the very first time and being on a huge show like that i was like wow that's that's very new um so for bitters mostly being used in like drinks but you know if food is still going into your body just as much as drinks are how can we still push the limits and balance um those two items so starting with drinks got to start with the old fashioned so for bitters, um, you can think of it as a liquid spice being added to a liquid or a solid. So whether it's a cupcake frosting or your Manhattan, they're going to go in both. So adding that extra spice and balancing the ingredients. So you have a line here of, uh, what is that, eight? Seven? Uh, it's seven, seven so seven. far. And let's yeah. point out that you're Michigan. You are the only Michigan The only company? Michigan yep. bitters company to this day. Yeah. Um, but these final. are not alcohol based. They are alcohol okay. based. So they are traditional. Um, there's actually two paths, and I had to take that um, to heart. Because um, he is not alcoholic, right? <laughs> correct. Yeah. So having having the traditional bitters um, being made with alcohol, um, going back to the same company, Fee Brothers um, took most of, not all, but most of their flavors with glycerin. Um, it's a much cheaper way to make it. It has a different mouthfeel to it and definitely, definitely lighter to the palate um, when it does finish off. It's not my cup of tea. Um, a lot of mixologists, some other bartenders, bar owners have agreed that glycerin-based ba- products are not as good. Um, they don't mix as well. They don't balance in a traditional sense. Um, alcohol is supposed to be used correctly. So when you're using these natural herbs and ingredients, soaking them in a high-proof alcohol, and then you drop alcohol in a, in these drinks and food, they balance naturally because of the alcohol. So using glycerin um, is actually the path I didn't want to take. So 
it, it's more expensive. It definitely is. Um, but that is um, actually bringing in more of the customers because they know it's more traditional. Um, and I'm keeping it all natural as well. Does that mean that you have to go through like the distribution chain to, to sell your bidders or is that? So that's uh, coming down the line as we speak. Um, my first, I guess, goal uh, was to see what flavors we're actually going to sell. Uh-huh. My first prototype was actually this one um, I, in the I, black bottle too. Before we go down that path, yeah. I think he's saying, are you part of like the liquor book? In the liquor book? Not right now. You're not. But you I don't have to be. You don't have, I don't have to be. Okay. okay. Yes. And I think that is normal with bidders because – you can go to like Hollywood Market, who doesn't have a liquor aisle, but they do at bitters. Correct. It, it's definitely becoming more popular. Yeah. Um, They're classified me, differently. So they are. Yeah. I mean, this is forty percent alcohol by volume, but it's only Correct. one fluid ounce. So it's like, yes, okay. Chug the shit out of that, and you get a, you know, you get a shot of alcohol. Yeah, you'd throw up. So same with, same with vanilla extract. You got it. So okay. Thirty-seven percent alcohol. What? Living in East Lansing, you, you know, um, you know yeah. that off the top of your head, Randy. <laughs> no, he knows. <laughs> he knows. As a child. <laughs> Scope too. Mom's scope bacon. <laughs> oh yeah, Listerine. Like yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I've seen yeah. episodes of Intervention uh, where people. Oh. <laughs> I think Listerine's twenty one and a half percent. That's because the ingredients are. Um, yeah, you said you throw up, and there's something about the the, the fli- bittering. The, yeah, the ingredients are non uh, potable. Is that yeah. what it is? Okay. So I think something that was interesting to go on that is living in East Lansing, a Michigan State grad. Um, I went to Lansing uh, to go white, <laughs> trying to see liquor control commissions and um, sitting down with the director. Uh, it took about two and a half months to finally just sit down with him because no one in the lucky. building yeah. wanted to give me a straight answer because they didn't know. About about bidders. I said, what license do I need? About I don't rules. know. They don't so know about the rules. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forward Jeez. this uh, over to this person, talked with them. I don't know. Forward me to another person. Finally got to the director, <laughs> sat down, five-minute conversation, shook hands. You don't need anything. There's been no license on these for multiple reasons. One, that being such a small form, most bitters are made between one ounce and five ounces. Some okay. Angostura bottles will push you know, the three and five ounces just because they're in dash bottles. Um, for better measurements, the one ounce, they don't worry about that. It's um, – it's measurable to a T when you're making the recipes, um, but no one's going to be chugging these. And God forbid, knock on wood for a bitters challenge. We don't want anything like Tide Pod or something like this going off the shelves. We got to start locking these puppies up. So, but what is interesting though is, from a consumption standpoint, you want people to consume more product because you sell more product, of course. And in recently, we've seen more uses for um, bigger pours of Angostura specifically. Yes. Um, which also shout out to Alex, who is our national rep. Right, yeah. he won that competition, and so to put a full shot of bitters is not crazy. It is not, um, and it's great because then you sell an ounce of bitters right yeah. there. So, yeah, that full bottle would definitely go. I think having the one ounce vials right now um, is definitely giving me more of a sense of what the community mm-hmm. is, you know, moving towards those flavors. Um, in front of me are the five black. We call them the five core, and the two white ones are the seasonal. And again, going on my mindset. What do the people want? What are the people gearing towards uh, as far as seasonal as well? So label, uh, name off your flavors for, for the, the viewers at home. Listeners. Yeah, so we have our five course or original prototype and our number one seller is the smoked apple chicory. Um, this one and also our next flavor, vanilla coffee, are both whiskey-based. So using over 100 proof for both of these, uh, definitely darker, more earthy tones. Um, the vanilla coffee will catch a lot of people by surprise. Having the smoky espresso beans um, and the vanilla beans as well definitely come you know a little bit 
surprising when you say, yes, we can add this to an old fashioned. They're like, what? Coffee? Whiskey? Can you do that? Yes, you can. Um, our brighter tones we have with vodka. So we have a mint hibiscus, one of our brightest tones. And more of our traditional, um, we have a citrus twist, which is lemon, lime, and then an orange. All three of those are vodka-based, um, having a high-proof vodka. Um, we have experimented with rum as well. And um, high-proof rum is harder to come by, but definitely used in some other darker, more warming tones. And these are our last two flavors, uh, blueberry vanilla and coconut raspberry. So the two white bottles are outside of the five core. They're known as seasonal edition. The white bottles are exclusive to Williams-Sonoma stores. Um, Nationwide? Uh, as of right now, one store. Okay. Uh, we're going to be in three stores uh, this coming fall. So awesome. in the Troy location, currently they hold all seven flavors. So blueberry, vanilla, and coconut raspberry being more of the rum base. You have more of the vanilla tones, more of the tropical scents. And these are the summer flavors. They are selling like crazy. Um, and we're trying to use more and more of these um, in cocktails and food items. Can you go through the process of what, it, what how you make a bottle of bitters? Very simple. I think the only time uh, when someone looks at me and says, Mike, it's not that easy. It's it's the recipe. The recipe is the hardest part. Um, it's a lot of trial and error. You have to be patient. Um, starting in a very humble uh, point is uh, a mason jar, um, some natural herbs and spices. So things like allspice, vanilla beans, cinnamon, uh, clover, you name it. You put those in with some of your bittering agents, which would actually be more of your wood. So if you think about um, the smoked apple chicory, chicory actually is the bittering agent itself. It even has more of the flavor tones as well. Having more of your fruit, adding apple rinds or with the citrus twist, lemons and limes. These are all rinds and the bittering tones you can add. So after having those in a mason jar, as an example, which anyone can make this at home, um, is having a high-proof alcohol. It's a three-week process if you do it in traditional sense. Um, two weeks where it will sit in the alcohol, just agitating it um, every day um, in a very low-light environment. Just make sure it's sealed. After one week, you take out those solids. You um, put them in water, and what you're doing is diluting that high-proof alcohol. But you're not just diluting it with normal water. You're adding the flavored water, and that flavor is coming from the actual ingredients that were just in the alcohol. So after three weeks, you have bitters. So it will measure out between 40 and 45%. Uh, normally, if you're an at-home uh, bittering mixologist yourself, um, you can make these. The only thing that you're going to catch a snag is the recipe. It might not be exactly what you thought it was going to be. You know, when it says a cinnamon stick, how big of a cinnamon stick are you going to be using? If you're using allspice, how natural is that going to be or how potent is that going to be? If you're using blueberries, are these South Haven blueberries that I'm using in Michigan that are going to be more crisp, more plump, and bigger in size as well? If you want to make bitters at home, not saying it's easy, you definitely have a skill to put these together. Um, there's a book called Bitters that was written by uh, Brad Thomas Parsons. And um, he, I, I actually bought it. I bought all the stuff. It's not fun to source some of those really weird bittering ingredients. I did it once. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And now I have like a box of crazy spices at home. Yeah. So it's way Having easier Having the spices is definitely worth it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. If, if you're into it, try, I'd say try it once. But I mean, I dumped like 60 bucks on like random spices. And I did it it's once. It's definitely not cheap. I think um, it's the spices that come into play. People think, wow, that's a lot of alcohol. Mike. It's not. It's actually the spices that you have to source um, when you're reaching out to the different farms. Um, I mean, 
blueberries, the fruits is probably the least expensive. The alcohol is right around that. When I'm buying alcohol in bulk, it has nothing compared to the natural ingredients. What what are some of the bittering like you said woods and like chicory? What else mm-hmm. is what else? I mean something basic: applewood, cherry wood, uh, peach wood, gentian. Root. Yeah. Wow. Those are things that you definitely have to come into play with. You know, a big wallet because when because <laughs> when you're when you're trying to do just one of these flavors, these all range from seven to fourteen ingredients. Um, smoked apple chicory tops all of them at fourteen. It has the most time and. Maybe that's why it's the best seller because it has 14 ingredients and it really catches the eye and the palate. And I think more people like that smoky tone. Um, it is the closest to a traditional bitter, having the earthy and um, spicy tones to it. Uh-huh. Others are kind of touching, you know, a new line of bitters. You know, the citrus twist. It's still a bitter. You know, we have some of those citrus tones, but never would I say. Please add citrus twist for your acid in your cocktail or maybe do um, lemon juice and substitute your citrus twist. There's no need to do that and it's – I don't recommend that because that's a bitter and that's your natural acid and your acidity that you'll need in your cocktail. So you, you speaking of cocktails, you brought a cocktail with you? I did. Ooh, okay. I did. So let's talk about – so I see you have your, your Coleman cooler here. Let's grab that. Yeah, yeah. Um, this would have been a good time to talk about the bitters book. Um, so what, what did you bring with you? So today I'm trying to bring uh, two different things, uh, a very simple cocktail and then a craft cocktail that's uh, easy for the, for the at-home bartender as well. So, I mean, I have to say right off the bat, your mise en place is pretty fantastic. You have everything portioned out. Thank you so and, much. Uh, <laughs> little little <laughs> cups. I just saw some bourbon, so I'm happy. <laughs> we got some wild turkey bourbon. We got Ooh, some pinnacle vodka. Bourbon. Is that a flavor? This is orange whipped. Whip, orange whip, whipped. Whipped. <laughs> so there, you didn't there, – at no point did you have to go through the TTB or the federal government? Uh, to that get- is correct. As far as a Michigan food license and distribution, um, I had to go through them as far as uh, putting that in a factory. So when I'm uh, producing this in Lansing, that's the only thing I have to make sure I'm doing is wearing a fancy hairnet and some gloves. And that would be even if you were to sell outside of Michigan? Um, this is just licensed for Michigan. Okay. Yep. Michigan's fairly, uh, fairly strict. I think when it comes to this, some of the stuff. So I think yeah. it might be easier. Like probably Chicago would be your next, your next probably space to expand or something, or Cleveland. Is is there? Well, it sounds like they're not strict once you got to the right person. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I once think, we yeah. got there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I've I've tried to interview um, people on the board before, and no one's interested. Interesting. I even saw them face to face at a restaurant show, and they're like, "No, turn the cameras off." It, is the bitter space like kind of a, is it saturated? Like, are there a lot of companies doing what you're doing? So I think that's the um, the great thing is to know that the companies that are existing now are great companies. Um, one of the ones that I originally reached out to in the very infancy of my business was beehive bitters mm. and having that, the honey based, um, and not only they have a killer logo, um, great owner and just trying to, um, find what his goal was. Why are you entering this movement? You know, the cocktail movements happening everywhere at different times and different stages. But what about the bittering movement that people are finding in different parts the closest one right now is Bitter Cube in Milwaukee. And having me 
as a close competitor and for them to be doing a lot of their business in Michigan, um, I don't find it so competitive. I do have my competitive side. Obviously, I have to do my business. Um, but reaching out to them in a way where I'm seeing they're being successful and they're showing um, leadership inside of the movement and saying, hey, we have we have a lot of this going on. So, so kind of interesting. You bring up Bittercube. Um, Bittercube has a uh, exclusive partnership with Apparatus Room. Yes. So when you almost all of their drinks have some sort of Bittercube product in them. So if you go look at the menu, you'll notice that. And some of the bartenders that I've talked to in the past from Apparatus Room have struggled with that, hmm. saying that kind of restricts their creativity. Um, so that that's interesting. Um, I mean, there are tons of, you know, uh, bitters manufacturers, especially outside of Michigan. Um, what about at some of the the Optimist bars? Are there any kind of ones that you've well, come across that you've been interested in? We, we've gotten sample packs before. I mean, uh, does the uh, Angoster and the Peychauds being the uh, the workhorses, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, coming from the Sugar House, oh, I'm so sorry. They just make all of their uh, bitters for the most part. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. Know, um, you know, there's Fee Brothers and Bitter Cube. Um, what else? So, Peychauds and um, Angostura, those are those are flavors. Are, are they like proprietary? Yes, they've yeah. been bitters. Around, yeah, they've both been around for a very long time. I've always wondered this. So they they have mm -hmm. their own blend, like secret recipe yep. type of shit. The okay. secret okay. recipe. Secret. Okay. Yeah, people try to mimic it. Yeah. Okay. Angostura is much more. It's darker. It's like fall. You know, flavors. Peychauds is a New Orleans based. Creole with a Creole. little bit of um, anise, yeah, a little fruity, little mm -hmm. uh, I want to say lingonberries or some yeah, crazy lingonberries. Shit. What? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, there's that that crazy color. Maybe it's cranberries. Yeah. Um, probably orange. I would say would probably be your third that most bars have some yeah, sort of know. orange type bittery thing. Oh, just on, on in 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 the repertoire. That's what you're saying. Yeah. If I had to have like three bitters uh -huh. and um, Mike wouldn't sell to me, then I would say <laughs> it would be Ango, Peychauds, and orange. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, these flavors obviously seem like outside the realm of anything I've ever seen. Well, yeah, why would you try to go up against Ango? You'd right. say, okay, here's, here's something new I'm bringing to the market for my take on it. Yeah, and, and then it immediately makes the cocktail that you're, or the bar that unique. you're selling to yeah. unique. Yeah, yeah. 100%. So are, are you like the only employee of your company? As of right now, the only employee, um, but yeah, also paid employee. Paid employee um, and I have my cousin, Victoria Chapo, who's actually the graphic designer. She worked for Porsche and Corona, um, having a, a little bit larger of a bottle uh, for doing graphic design and um, specifically wanting to do um, a little bit more with uh, my company as far as family and reached out to me and says, let's rock out these one ounce bottles. So, That's great. Yeah, where, did we, the, where did black ink come from? I can, don't know if we talked about that already. We didn't. Um, <laughs> I think the best thing about um, the company itself has happened uh, in my apartment with my best friend Kristen. We were sitting down just drinking some red wine and came across the idea, let's make some bitters. Um, being a little bit intoxicated that night, um, smoked apple chicory was born uh, that night in a mason jar. Um, it sucked. Uh, it definitely was a uh, a very good try um, attempt, if you will, uh, to make it. But I was going to keep on trying. Uh, the name came very shortly after. Looking at the bitters and being used as droplets and cocktails, we definitely had to um, use a clever name. Gothic and modern was the goal. Um, having black as our main color scheme 
and having gold foil for our business cards, gold font, and anything badges to our main uh, mascot is the Kraken. So black ink uh, came into play and we had to do the research before I met with the attorney. Um, we signed papers and went with it. And no looking back. I think everyone definitely uh, love. They love the mascot. They love the name. Um, it's different, and it doesn't. It definitely has a darker tone uh, coming from a Michigan company. Once the ink dried, there's no looking back. <laughs> All right. So then you have um, your five basic, your two seasonal. What? And do you have other seasonal ones in the? So we'll end? have other seasonals coming into play as well. So our two seasonals will rotate out. Um, Again, like I said, it is exclusive for Williams-Sonoma. So once the two new ones come for the fall, um, they'll take those off the shelves. And the best thing about bitters is that you don't have to refrigerate them and the shelf life is eternal. Wow. So being with a high-proof alcohol, you're not really wasting your money. There's no time frame for me to say, hey, we got to get this rolling. These are going to go bad. And I have no worries with that ever. Oh, that's great. So in terms of your partnership with Williams-Sonoma, do they, do they have any say in your recipes? Not a one. Okay. So do you have to go you, – you bring this to them and they'll sell it or they, do they, they taste it or like well, how does it work like when you have – a so because they're a huge company. They're a huge company. I think uh, for me to have the variety that I did at the time, um, I had 12 flavors at, at the beginning when I met with Sonoma. They were kind of uh, blown away with the variety but they all could, also could see the – uh, wear and tear on me um, as far as researching and also putting in the work for these flavors. Having 12 different batches as a variety um, pushes the limits as um, as a business owner, um, but it's just so hard to keep up with. I analyzed data for one year on the 12 flavors, picked out the best five, created the five core. Oh, so okay. after having that, um, those were my decisions, not Williams-Sonoma. That's great. So they're they're a pretty easygoing company to work they for are, is what it sounds and, like. And they're fantastic. <laughs> so when I signed papers, um, I was signing papers for the franchise themselves. So we're going to be expanding this as quickly as possible, um, most likely two stores at a time. Oh, that's great. So wh- where else can people buy If you can't find a Williams-Sonoma, where else can people buy your bitters? You can buy them at blackinkbitters.com. This is the online store. We do have a... Uh, small boutique store in Okemos, Michigan, um, where they're holding our five core. Um, and again, just to get those specialty, um, if you really like those seasonal additions and you've already collected those five core, you do have to go to a Sonoma. Do, does William and William Sonoma doesn't sell them online? Do they? They do not. Okay, is that something that might happen in the future? Hopefully, um, with some of the larger stores um, and all of them going into. Um, their shelves, we're trying our best to go quickly as possible. And then, um, where else can people find? Where else, uh, Instagram? Where, where can people find you? Instagram, Facebook, Black Ink Bitters um, on all of our handles. Um, we have a blog where we're posting all of our drinks. Um, and the drink that I made today is a orange whipped blueberry sunset. So we're using the Pinnacle Vodka. Um, having this uh, orange whip, the the acid that we use today um, is traditional, almost like a Ramos Gin Fizz, but it's with lemon juice and orange juice. We do have a whipped cream as well for the frothiness and a traditional egg white for the palate. Um, and the bitters that we're going to be using in this right now um, is blueberry vanilla. So the best thing about passing around a cocktail is passing it around when the bitters are not in it. So you can actually add these in in the beginning or after. Now, 
with a frothiness, you can add one to two dashes. We're going to do two dashes in this, not only to show that you can see it on the very top, even a quick swirl or even the aromatics on the top, you can actually tell the difference with the blueberry vanilla. Muddled blueberries are at the bottom, but you won't smell them. You'll only taste them. Blueberry vanilla bitters will put all the ingredients together, balance it out, but add a lot more aromatics. Oh, it's fantastic. Thank you. Mike, thanks for being with us. One more time, blackinkbitters.com. You got it. And uh, in Williams-Sonoma at Troy. In Troy. Troy, Michigan, and um, in the future, maybe a couple other locations. Rochester and Eastwood in the Lansing area are soon to be next. Awesome. Best of luck. Thank you so much. Until next time, dine well, friends.